Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Mark My Word is a message series designed to bring a Christ-centered focus into your life through the power of one word. Our speaker today is Senior Minister Dee Bacon. My little sister entered into my life when I was eight years old. And uh, here's a picture of me watching TV with her. I love those PJs. You know, I still have to have the, the pink PJs. Anyway, and that's her there in the red. And we're watching TV somewhere in Zimbabwe, Africa. I don't know, remember where that picture was taken. But uh, that's her about one. I was about nine. A little sister came into my life and uh, it, it, it rocked, rocked our world a little bit. Uh, and mom invited me to help take care of her. In fact, uh, as all big brothers, eight years difference, I had many opportunities to look after her, babysit her, make sure she was safe. One of the things I had to learn to do was to change diapers. We call them nappies. So to change nappies, and in those days, we used the old cloth nappies. How many are familiar with cloth nappies? Right? Good old fun cloth nappies. And cloth nappies require skill. When, when you're pinning the nappy, you got to make sure, mom said, you got to make sure you put your hands underneath, right? Because you don't want to stick the baby. Well, sometimes I did, but you don't want to stick the baby. You stick your finger instead, and then you put the plastics on. And then when you change the nappies, you had to, you know, take care of the deposits and then put it in a, in a bucket to soak, and then they had to be washed. It was quite a process. It was a whole part of that. I learned how to feed her her bottle and learn how to burp her and learn how to hold her when she was little. I was just eight, nine years old. Um, really, it was, uh, it was quite an honor, really, if you think about it. Mom invited me to help take care of my little sister. And in that, quite honestly, I was trained in being ready for a dad. Because when I became a dad, these little things were not a shock to me. Uh, they weren't like, what do I do with this? Um, I learned how to change diapers. I was so thankful for disposable. You know, that's easy stuff, easy stuff, right? Learn how to put a diaper on, making sure you defend yourself. Because when the cold hits, the baby, sh- you know, anyway. Um, Giving me chores and giving me the responsibility of taking my little sister built confidence in me. And that's what family chores do, right? When you give a child a chore in the family, first of all, you say, you're responsible. Second of all, you say, we believe in you. Thirdly, you say, we need you to do your part in the family because what you have to give is important for the benefit of the family. And giving chores... You communicate to a child that they are valued and have value to give. Obviously, those chores have to be age-appropriate, but it does start when you're little. Now, what's true of our families on earth is true for our family in heaven, right? I've often said, just said it this weekend, talking to some folks, some friends, Christianity is the great releaser of human potential, and here's how it works. God, first of all, says, you are valuable, You have value, and you know how you can know you have value? Well, I sent, as Rick said, my son to die for you. His life is the measure of your value to me. Even though you didn't deserve it, even though you were an enemy of God, God still sent his son to die for you. You have value. That's the measure of your value. Secondly, then, we're told that when we come to faith in Christ... 
We're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit dwells within us and gifts us to respond to His calling to serve. And therefore, we can say not only are we valuable, but we have value to give. That's why the Apostle Paul calls his ministry grace. It's part of this communication that you are valuable and you have value to give. You are a child of God and you're now brought into the family business. And then the question then is, well, what's the family business of God? Well, to find that answer, we have to turn to the end of the Gospel of Matthew. End of the Gospel of Matthew, we find Jesus with his apostles. And uh, he's getting ready to return to heaven. He's resurrected from the dead. They're up on a hill. They're all around him. They're basically standing there like, okay, now, now what? And now what happens? And this is what Jesus said. This is the family business. This is what you as the church, you as the children of God, the people of God are to be about now. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, why is he saying this? Well, he's saying this because he was crucified and rose from the dead. He had taken care of sin and once and for all. He had been authorized by his resurrection by God. As one preacher said, if a man says what Jesus said and then died on the cross and rose from the dead, then you better pay attention to what he says. In fact, as far as I'm concerned, if that's true, I'm with him. And Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me. I have authorization from on high to say these things and to pass that authority on to you. And here it is. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go ahead and circle that, that, that make disciples there if you want in your bulletin because that's where it's at. Go, go in life, go on from this place and make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is a follower a follower of Jesus, in the pattern of what Jesus set up in training and investing in his disciples, right? So we know that Jesus called 12 men to spend life with him over a three-year period where he invested himself in them, trained them up, equipped them, prepared them for what was their calling in life. Peter, you will be a fisher of men. You disciples, here's what your calling is to go and make disciples in the same manner, To make disciples in going small is going to be something in which it's going to be relationally based. Going strong, we're not going to be talking foo-foo, fluff-fluff stuff. We're talking spiritual stuff. We're talking life, eternal stuff. And it's going to go slow. This process is three years. It's not, you know, take a pill and it's all done. It's not take a course in six months and you're ready to go. No, it's a lifelong, slow process. Go make disciples as you go in life, make disciples. And here's some description of what that involves. Baptizing him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You make disciples in the family business of God by bringing people to faith in the small, strong, and slow, and then helping them and teaching them and encouraging them to live by faith in Jesus. And then he says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Well, whoa, 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 whoa. How does that happen? Because you're going back up to heaven. How can you be with us? Oh, I'm going to send my spirit. And he's going to be now available to all of you at all times through the year, through the ages. My spirit will be me with you. This is how this promise is fulfilled. The Holy Spirit with us is the spirit of Jesus. It's Jesus with us. 
going with us as we go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them to follow. And so the family business of God is to make followers of every person we encounter in life. As we go, we bring them to faith, baptism, right? And we teach them as we walk with the Spirit how we follow Jesus. They too can then learn to follow Jesus. The family business of God then is to be a disciple maker. As we follow, we teach others to follow, bring them to faith, and give them what we have by the Spirit to help them grow. And so you read then from the rest of the New Testament. The Gospels all talk about Jesus. And then you have the book of Acts, which talks about the church. The first 60 years or so describes the life of the church, the establishment of the church. And then you got the letters from Romans to Revelation, which then give specific instructions to churches on what it means to fulfill this mandate to be disciple makers. Specific instructions unique to their situation and circumstance. I think one of the best letters for us, for us living United States, Cincinnati, where's Claremont, wherever you want to say, one of the best letters for us to really see what it means to be a Jesus follower is the letter to the Ephesians. Letter to Ephesians. Ephesians was written to Christians who were primarily Gentiles. That's us, primarily non-Jews, coming from that perspective. And that letter basically starts out with saying, hey, because you are Gentiles doesn't mean that you're second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Just because you're hearing this from some of these Jewish false teachers who are saying you need to first become a Jew in order to be really legitimately a Jesus follower. No, Paul says, no, truth be told, by grace, through faith, at baptism, you are a child of God, as we've just sung. You have a legitimate claim to the kingdom, and this is what it looks like to live as a child of God in Christ. And he uses the language, live in the light. Being a Jesus follower, being a disciple maker, he says, is living in the light. Once you were in the darkness, once you lived in a way in which you were ignorant and controlled by the evil of the world in darkness, now you are in the light by faith in Jesus, being a disciple maker, being a Jesus follower. This is what it looks like. And he then goes on through the second half of the letter to the Ephesians, giving instruction on the practical application of what it means to live in the light how it is to operate at work, how it is to operate in your marriage, how it is to operate within the community of the church. And here we have where we come into land today, what it looks like in family. And what we discover is this. My family life is my God-assigned opportunity to be a disciple maker. What you discover in this letter to the Ephesians is the truth that God has called us to see our family life as an opportunity to be a disciple maker. An opportunity to fulfill the great commission, go make disciples of all. See, God created the family unit right there in the beginning. Husband, wife, children, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins. He created the family unit to be the place where human beings are created, made, trained up, nurtured, protected, reared, we say, and released into the world to do it all over again. Released into the world as good, godly, mature individuals. That's the, the plan that God instituted regarding the family. 
Now that we are Jesus followers, now that we are committed to Christ, if you are a Christian member of the family, that calling then notches up a level. It notches up a level in terms of its focus. Now we're become, we realize that not only are we training up good human beings, we're involved in a relationship that's part of this process in family, but now we're the call to make disciples because family is my God-assigned opportunity to be disciple-maker, to give what I've been given in the small and in the strong and in the slow, to give what I've been given to invest those whom I'm connected to because my family is who I go small with in life as I go along to give what I've been given in order to make disciples. But it's not easy. It's not easy. So we have instruction from Paul, right? First Corinthians, uh, excuse me, Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is a commandment from the Old Testament. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Then he says, fathers, and we can include moms here, parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. See, this is what it means to live in the light, right? Children, parents, but it's not easy. It's a difficult task. Every one of us is a child. Most of us are parents. A lot of us are grandparents. We all have connections and family, and we all know family is not easy. It can be the greatest source of joy, and it can be the greatest source of despair and discouragement. Family life is not easy. There's an enemy who works against us when it comes to family, right? I was reading in preparation. I came across a story of a lady named Shirley Radcliffe. She writes in a blog or writing Kids for the Kingdom. She talks about a time where her daughter Kathy, daughter Kathy was uh, talking to her daughter, Kayla, who was just six years old or so, and she explained to Kayla that she was going to classes, parenting classes, just so she could be a better mommy. Well, that next Sunday, Kayla got upset about something, threw a fit, threw a tantrum, was just letting it loose, and both Kathy and her husband were trying to deal with Kayla, and Kayla just all of a sudden burst out, Mommy, I thought you were going to a course to be a better mommy, but it's not working. (laughs) Right? It's not easy. It's not easy to fulfill this calling to take the opportunity for family life to be disciple-making because we have in this world a malevolent, not a benevolent, a malevolent meaning evil, force that's working to destroy the family, redefining marriage, confusing parents as to what parenting really is and how to be successful. I mean, if we can't see the news and see how it is celebrated that a mother will kill her unborn baby just moments before birth, if we can't see that as a a direct attack on the family, on motherhood, We must be blind. It's not easy. 
Not only do we have to deal with these outside forces, we have to deal with the fact that we're dealing with human beings within family that are not cooperative because of their weaknesses and their flesh. It's not easy to fulfill the calling to take the opportunity to make disciples in family life. In my research, as I was going along talking about it, and even commentary on people that perhaps have good intentions. TED Talk given a few years ago by a lady who was the former dean at freshman at Stanford, Judy Lithcott Hames. Let me read to you some of the transcript of what she talks about when she's discussing checklist parenting, talking about some of the philosophies that we've entered into our operations as parents that are undermining our children and undermining this call to be disciple makers. She says it's the fear... It's this fear-driven, well-intentioned drive by parents to always keep our children safe and sound and fed and watered. We stress about them going to the right schools, that they're in the right classes at the right schools, and that they get the right grades in the right classes in the right schools, but not just the grades, the accolades, the awards, the sports, and the activities, and the leadership, so they do not blow their chance at going to their destined next step to greatness, which usually is the perfect college situation. And so what do we do? We have to argue with every teacher and principal and coach and referee and be our kids' concierge, their personal handler and secretary. And then with our kids, we spend so much time pushing and pulling, helping and haggling to be sure they're not screwing up, not ruining their future. We say we just want them to be happy. But the first thing we ask to all often about when they get home is their homework and grades and scores. And when they see in our faces that our blessing only comes from their good performances, the message is well received. And in doing this, she says, we reap what we sow. Our children who will always have to have parents that will be there, cover, protect, intervene, leaves the kid feeling bewildered and maybe even incompetent. They grow up feeling like I've got to have a parent attend my every move. I'm not capable of being a successful fourth grader without my parent doing my homework for me. This craziness treats kids as if they're an investment, investment in terms of being a portfolio to build in order to produce great returns. But the returns of this is that we have young adults who fail to launch into life, unable to travel on their own pathway, make their own choices, fall down a few times, get back up, get stronger as a result of that experience. Too many of our young adults today are bewildered at the task of being an adult, she says. Depression and anxiety are spiking in young adults young adult populations and adolescent populations. Studies show that these things correlate to an over-involved parenting style with higher rates of anxiety and depression. You know, if I wanted to undermine the fabric of society, if I had a plan to destroy society, you know where I'd go after? I'd go after the family. Because it's the building block of society. And what do we have? We have an enemy who's going after the fabric of society. It's no mistake that after Paul gives all this instruction of living the light, talking about the family in Ephesians, it's, I don't believe it's any mistake then. He starts talking in terms of warrior. Put on the full armor of God, he says, because our fight is not against flesh and blood. And you've got to say there's a direct correlation there, right? We have an enemy who's seeking to destroy all good things of God, and the family's right there dead center. 
And therefore, those of us who are called to live in the light, those of us who are called to to live according to what God has called us to do, to fulfill our calling because we have value and we have value to give, to fulfill our calling in the family business, we have to recognize this fight has to be taken up. and We cannot back down. And we've got to rely on the resources that God gives to us. And we're going to have to sift out the bad information and live by the truth and give ourselves to the commitment to do whatever we can, wherever we can, however we can, to fulfill the calling to make disciples of Jesus with the family opportunities we're given. Knowing it's hard. And so we have Paul. Parents, expect your children to obey in the Lord. I know the, instru- the direction is to kids. But really, let's be honest, it's to parents. Parents have the expectation for your children to obey and honor. Why? Because when they learn that, it will save their life. Parents, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Understand that your parenting style has to be either not too harsh, the extreme of the authoritarian, but not too soft, the extreme of trying to be their pal or the parole officer. But right there in a good balance, being their parent, knowing that they need parents, not pals, knowing that they need your wisdom and definition of what's right, not figure it out on yourself, follow your heart, mumbo-jumbo. I have a few things. One of the things that I come to realize not too long ago Sometimes I realize that sometimes we as families don't have a vision for our family. It wasn't too long ago that there was a book out there, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Have you ever read that? Stephen Covey. One of the things that he's taught was one of his principles. Principle number two, habit number two, was start with the end in mind. Start with the end in mind. That's what he says regarding that. He says, people are working harder than ever. But because they lack clarity and vision, they're going, they aren't getting very far. They, in essence, are pushing a rope with all their might. And I think some of us may feel like that definition is the definition that captures our family life. In essence, we are pushing a rope with all their might. We're trying hard because we know we're supposed to do something, but it doesn't feel like it's making any progress. And I think the problem is, is that sometimes we don't realize we have to step back and begin with the principle. Begin with the end of mind. What is your vision for your family? And is that vision growing? Is that vision, is that vision central? Do you have an idea why you do family? Do you have a picture of what your children, what you want from your children when, they, when they're adults? Do you have a picture of how you'd like your your grandchildren to be and how you'd like to operate with your adult children and encouraging them with their grandchildren? Do you have a picture of how you're to treat your parents as they age? Do you have a vision and understanding of, of the end in mind regarding these things? Because when we are captured by that vision, it then directs our efforts towards working towards that. And again, it's not a perfect thing. That's why we rely on God and His Spirit and His resources. 
It's one of the useful things in, with the use of this book. If you read the book, One Word, you will find out that gives examples of families doing the one word together. In fact, a good friend of mine was sharing this with me. He said he has some little children, and they kind of work through the book together. Remember the process is uh, prepare your heart, and then the process is look up to God, seek God for a word that will guide you through the air, and then, uh, then when that word comes, then live that out. Well, he worked this out with his wife and his kids, and he incorporated them in this conversation. And each of them had their word, and they made this poster or whatever that their word that they, they were able to put in front and center for each of them to encourage one another. But they as a family came up with a word. They as a family came up with a word that was, 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 was under this umbrella of, of discipling them in Christ, each other. And their word was intimacy, and that was their family word. In your family life, perhaps you could incorporate others depending on where you are and bringing together a word that you live by. One of the most powerful things a family can do to, to make disciples is, is to pray together. And I say pray and read the Bible together. Kids, read the, read the Bible to your kids. Read them Bible stories regularly. They, they, it's powerful. It's powerful in this endeavor. Why are you doing this? Because you know that family is your opportunity to make disciples. Do chores. Do chores and serve together. Here's some activity. Chores means make responsibility of your kids. My, my wife, she was so very good at this, and I think, you know, we weren't perfect parents. My kids aren't perfect kids. But this one, I think uh, Shannon got it right. And I've told you this before. She was like, these kids have it too easy. Let's make some jobs. I mean, one of the jobs was go and collect um, penny deposits outside, you know, clean up the backyard from, from penny deposits, if you know what I'm saying, a plastic bag. And it was always fun to watch them do that because one would carry the bag and the other one would carry a stick and they would argue as to who would do what and they would be like, I, but wow. Have your kids do the laundry Help them learn how to do, make responsibility. Why it's so important that, you know, oh, it's their room. Let them take care of it as they want. No, it's not their room. And if you let them take care of it as they want, it's going to multiply and explode through the door, down the stairs, and infect the entire house. Your dog will be lost there and never come back out. Expect your kids to keep a tidy room. Remember, we learned that lesson not too long ago. What's one of the most powerful things you can do in the day? Make your bed. People are like, why do I make my bed? I'm going to mess it up anyway. Well, because it's a, it's a habit that sets you on course. You've done one good thing. You've set one thing straight. It sets you day. Expect your kids to make their bed. That's a chore. That's important. Make your own bed as an example. Where, there is, where, where it's age-appropriate, give your kids chores, responsibility. Why? Because you have to deal with them crying. They don't do it perfectly. No, because when you give them chores, what are you telling them? You're capable. You have value to give. And you're needed in this family to do your part. It gives them a perspective and understanding of life. And let them struggle and let them fail and let them mess up. Yes, and let them boil things when they shouldn't boil them and all that fun stuff. Why? Because in failing, they learn. Too many of us are worried about giving our kids confidence, so we swoop in whenever they suffer. That is the worst thing you can do. You know what builds the most confidence in a child, in a person? It's taking on a difficult task, struggling through it, failing, 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 and then coming through at the end. 
It's not winning all the time. It's not getting a, a reward all the time for your effort. Do chores. Serve together. Play. And by play, I mean don't sit in front of a screen. Play. Play games. Stick fights were some of my favorite. Chase. Hide and seek. What an obedience game for little ones, Simon says. Get them outside. Play. Even as adults, we like to play. Play. Play together. When you play together, it connects. Look to give blessing, and we've talked about this before, but give the blessing. Remember, there's five elements of a blessing. First element of the blessing is uh, meaningful touch, appropriate meaningful touch. Reach out, touch one another, right? Second part is put some words to that, spoken words of love. This is something you just don't do one-off, but it's something done regularly, spoken words of love. Talk about their high value. Talk about how important they are, Right? Attach high value means honestly tell them what they do well. Don't dishonestly come up with stuff that you think they should be doing. But honestly, acknowledge what they do well. Speak the truth to them. Right? Fourth is picture a special future. Constantly talk about what you see and how they will do. When they do well, say, wow, you know what? You're so good at building. You're so good at, I can see you being an engineer. I can see you being someone who makes a difference in people's lives by making stuff. I don't know. Speak a high future. Take those opportunities to do that. And then the fifth one, make a genuine commitment. And this one, I think, is, is vital. Make a commitment to stick in there because guess what? It's going to be up and down failure. It's going to be discouraging. There's going to be many tears, right? Many tears, and it doesn't get easier when they leave the house. In fact, it actually gets weightier because you're like, oh, my. Are we going to marry the right person? Are they going to take a loan that's going to put them in? Pro I mean, it gets heavier, but make a commitment to stick in there, to do what you can to bless and to honor. Hopefully this is encouraging you, giving you some thoughts, giving some idea. But bottom line is let's have a vision for our family. Let's have a vision that's God-honoring. Let's have a vision that begins and is grounded by the understanding that family life is an opportunity from God to make disciples, to fulfill the Great Commission. There's a story in the Bible where the disciples, talking about discipleship, Notice how Jesus prayed, and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Remember that story? Jesus, teach us how to pray. We, we notice there's something different in your prayers. Not the, that the disciples were not praying types. They just noticed Jesus prayed differently, and they wanted that. How did they see that? Well, because they were living life together with him. And so what did Jesus say? He, he, he shared with them a structure. Now, we use this as kind of, we call this the Lord's Prayer. But really, we have to understand this is the Lord's guidelines, the Lord's teaching on prayer. Right? How does the Lord's Prayer go? You can turn there on the screen, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. You can say this with me. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
the Lord's Prayer. Now, I want you to consider verse 10, second line. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is that prayer? What is he asking? What are you praying when you say that? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where does that live? Well, your kingdom come refers to the fact that God is the king and you want where he reigns to be present. Where he is the king, where those who are his subjects live according to his word and to his will. Your kingdom come. You are asking for the will of God and the word of God to be manifest, to be made known, to be lived out. And where are you asking that to happen? You're saying, your will be done on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom, you're king of heaven, but I want what's king of, what, how you operate in heaven to happen here on earth. And where does that live? The kingdom of God on earth. It's not a political thing. It's not a church thing, although it involves church. Where does it really live? It lives in our homes. It lives in our families. It is a prayer for the kingdom of God to be made known in our family life. Where individuals are trained up, going small, going strong, going slow, they are discipled. Why? Because they are our God-given opportunity to invest in this calling to be disciple-makers. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. And it's a prayer for now. It's a prayer of hope because sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work. I get it. And I know many of you are heartsick regarding your family situations. Children not responding to the best you can. You're looking back on your life before you really knew the Lord. You're like, I messed up. How am I going to change that? I get it. Grandparents wondering what they could do for their adult children. Adult children wondering how to rear their children. Young children confused and hurt. And all the gamut and abuse and, and the suffering of the world because we have an enemy working against what God wants our family to do. I get it. But it doesn't take away from the power of this prayer that we pray today. And we seek to align ourselves by the power of the Spirit. Because what did he say? Go into the world and make disciples, every one of you. Bring them to faith and teach them how to follow you. And what do you say? And I am with you to the end of the age. I'm with you. The Holy Spirit is there to resource you. And as long as you have today, you have this prayer. You will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You will be done in my family, in the life of my kids. As long as we have today, we keep the fight up. Because family is our God-given opportunity to make disciples. The place where we go small and go strong and go slow and investing ourselves with what God gives us. And yes, we have many times messed up. We have histories. We have issues. But today, today, try to encourage parents, hey, it's not about getting it all perfect. And many times you can do the right things and your kid will make the wrong decisions and it's heartbreaking and I don't know why. 
I don't know why. But we fall on the power of God and the grace of God and we continue to be obedient to this calling. And while we have today, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because family is our God-given opportunity to make disciples. Let's pray together. While we are praying, I'm going to ask the guys that are here to um, pray with you in person. You can stand. Please do. Guys that are here to pray with you in person, elders, members of our prayer team, be available. Pray with you in person. If you have a decision regarding your next step or your faith journey, you can share with these guys what that is, and they will hopefully direct you in the next step. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for the blessing of family. Truth be told, family is the source of our greatest joy and the source of our greatest struggle. (laughs) I'm thankful that you understand this. I'm thankful for stories like the prodigal son, which capture your heart. Father who loses his son in rebellion and is overjoyed when he returns. And that father in that story is you. That father in the story is many of us. Lord, I pray that you would just guide us with wisdom, help us to do our part wherever we can to encourage and bless and give what you've given us to help those we're connected to in our family, those who we do life with, going small, going strong, going slow, help us to make disciples. Many of us feel inadequate. I mean, parenting definitely makes you feel inadequate. Many of us feel inadequate, but Lord, we're thankful for the promise that you're with us and you give us what we need if we're open to it and that you redeem even our mistakes, and we continue to seek to be obedient to you in that. Help us, Lord, to counteract the enemy's work, and while the family's been destroyed in the world, help it to be revived and reclaimed and redeemed in the church, and that we will truly be a light. We will truly be a light to our community in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.